You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit tvcresources.net. Well, good morning. My name is Scott Miller, and I serve here as a home group leader and also play music for our Kids Village. Our passage this morning is 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards, as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. The passage actually is our outline. Uh, So it'd be great for you to open that up and I can just show you uh, Peter's progression of thought and what the Lord has for us today. On Tuesday, I had the opportunity to get on a plane with my oldest, Audrey, and we flew down uh, to College Station where I had the opportunity to preach at Breakaway Bible Study at Texas A&M. And so uh, I was expecting that. Thank you. And so I I got there and it's one of those moments that for me, one of those opportunities to preach uh, that's tied to my historic formation. Uh, so the summer that Jesus really got a hold of my heart, I would say the summer that I actually became a believer, it was Greg Mott, who was my camp counselor, who actually was the founder of Breakaway. And then uh, over the course of the first couple of years, my own faith, uh, it wasn't uncommon for me to get in the car uh, with a buddy, uh, usually a guy named Brent Baird, and we would drive to College Station on a Tuesday night. Uh, at that point, there was a seven and a nine, and they met at Central Baptist Church. Now they meet in Reed Arena, thousands of them, a basketball arena uh, to worship and hear the word. And I would go there to the seven uh, and I would just watch a room full of college kids uh, just sing to Jesus, happily sit under the word. And it, and it shaped me and molded me in the earliest parts of my faith. Uh, and so I was thinking through all of that and it hit me that that was in the 90s and that 90% of the room that I'm about to preach to was not alive when I was doing all of that. And then when I got up to preach, like right at the beginning, um, I saw in the crowd Kevin Lewis's boys and his daughter who were like grown. But Kevin Lewis was a guy that was a student at A&M that when I came into town, I would stay with him at his townhouse. And so it, it, like, it shocked me that somewhere along the way, I have become Papa Chandler. 
And I don't know because, man, I started as a 28-year-old and now, man, when I'm signing up for something, anybody else having to scroll for like seven minutes before you can get to your birthday to click, that's when I was born? I mean, it's wild. And so I don't, it happens so stinking fast. Like what? And then uh, I was just blown away by how fast time is moving. And here's what I know. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you have no clue what I'm talking about right now. Like if you hurt yourself sleeping in the last six months, you're my people. If you're in no danger of that, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. But, but the Bible paints this picture of your life and mine that it's fleeting and quick. In fact, it says it like in kind of difficult ways to kind of digest. Like you're like the, the dew on the grass in the morning. You're, you're here in the morning and you're gone by the afternoon. Like so the, even the old adage here today and gone tomorrow is biblically incorrect. Like, like according to uh, an expansive eternal God, you're like here today, gone today. Like here at breakfast, gone at lunch. And the weight of First Peter is to orient your heart and mine around the reality that time is short. It's short in that we're human beings, so we're only here for a second. And it's short in regards to the fact that Christ will return at any moment. That we're in the last days. And I don't mean that in a weird left behind way. I mean it in the biblical way, which is the end times began at the ascension of Jesus Christ after his resurrection. Been in the last days since Christ resurrected, right? She had some terrible movies and books twist our thinking, but biblically speaking, we're in them. Like if the New Testament was in them, we're in them. You tracking with them? We good? That's free. It's not even in my notes. And, and so how then are you and I meant to live in this short period of time? Well, um, if you remember last week, last week's super important for where we're going today. And, and last week was simply this, suffering is normal and Jesus is good. That's the foundation we have to build on. And, and I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it if you didn't get a chance to listen to it. The idea that happiness is your default setting is brand new in human history. I would argue is demonic in its origin and all the social science data says that one of the reasons we're flipping miserable right now is we've bought the lie that our default isn't struggle, but our default is happiness. And so suffering is normal. If you're suffering, that's not abnormal. But Jesus is still good. That's all I can give you. But go back and listen to that message. Um, I thought it had a lot in it that was good. So uh, here, here's what the, the apostle Peter, the word of God, wants to say to us this morning. How should we live then um, since our time is short? Well, he's going to argue out of the gate that you and I should have an active mindset. He's going to move from that and say that that active mindset should be oriented around the judgment of God and that that active mindset uh, around the judgment of God, we should do together. And so that's the flow of the passage. That's what we'll look at. So let's uh, dive in here uh, to verse one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. If you write in your Bibles, I would just highlight this or, or, or you know, make a star next to it. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We covered this verse last week, so I won't touch much of it this week. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, 
orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to these, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So it's important to know right right out of the gate, he he says, how are we to live since time is short? You, You need to have an active mindset around this reality. Following Jesus has a cost. And you got to get your mind around that. You got to get your mind around the reality. I love you. You are going to suffer and it's going to sneak up on you. And it's going to pop you in the nose when you least expect it. I'm just telling you, nobody expects suffering until it's right on top of them. Like the kind of heartbreak that occurs over and over and over again in the human condition is always surprising, always discombobulating, and always uh, really unnerving. And so Peter's saying, in light of these things, you need to have the same mindset of Christ who knew and chose suffering. So he says, arm yourself. You want to do battle in this present darkness? You've got to know it's coming, and you need to decide before it comes that you're going to trust in him, come what may. Right? So some of us are like, uh, when the day comes, I'll do it. No, no, it's now. It's now that I know at any moment my phone could ring. At any moment I could get a weird pain. At any moment one of my kids could. At any moment. And so I'm, I'm aware that at any moment bad, terrible things can break loose. And what I want to do is already say, I know it's possible. I'm not going to fret. And if my lot is that level of suffering I'm orienting my heart about praising his name that he's up to something, even if I can't see it or understand it. And I'm telling you, in our, my first probably eight years, you know, I'd been here 10 years before I did the first funeral for a 70 or 80 year old man who had a long legacy of faith, loving Jesus, nearly a decade. Can I tell you, I did dozens, if not dozens and dozens of 20 year old car accidents, of two year old cancers. I mean, awful heartbreaking stuff. And, and so what I was trying to do in those days, in fact, I'll never forget, uh, I go to the hospital, I'm visiting uh, the Pons family and they're, they're, one, one of their grandbabies, uh, Dottie's grandbabies, there, there were some issues there and so I'd gone to pray and Dottie just grabbed me and just melted. And so we just wept there in the hospital. I left the hospital, they just resolved to give us a framework for suffering. And then for the next like three or four years, like every time I preached, I was trying to help people know, hey, following Jesus can look like it ends badly, but it never actually ends badly. And so I've tried to pull these things out of the Bible that are always there and nobody talks about them. Like, do you remember if you church background, if you're not, just follow me. Um, like you remember when John the Baptist sends a runner to Jesus asking, are you the one or should we expect another? Do you remember that story? So I don't know if you were aware of this, but Jesus quotes Isaiah to John about the coming Messiah. He says, tell him what you see, that the poor are being ministered to, that the lame are walking and the blind are given sight. But you know what the last phrase of the Isaiah benediction is? And the prisoners will go free. But Jesus doesn't say that part. In essence, he tells John the Baptist, I am the one and you're going to die in prison. He talks about that or the fact that God comes to Jeremiah and says, I'm going to give you the power to build up nations and destroy them. You know, a guy that wouldn't sign on to that. And and so every time Jeremiah opens his mouth, though, he's beaten, he's thrown in a ditch naked, he's imprisoned. And when all said and done, he goes into exile with everybody else who ignored the words of warning 
or, or Moses. Moses wanders the desert for 40 years with grumbling, complaining people. Church folk were different back then. And, and then he gets taken up on the mountain. Like literally goes up on the mountain and the clouds part and he sees the promised land and God says to him, you're going to die on the mountain and Joshua gets to lead him in. Did you, did you ever hear that? So, so I was just every week, I was just like trying to pull something out like that just to go, hey, listen, suffering is normal. Disappointment is normal. Jesus is good. Here's what God accomplishes in those things. I was trying to get us ready to do this, to arm us with the mindset of Christ that can see it coming, that knows it's coming, to not fret or be overwhelmed by that. But when it lands, be able to go, I don't know what you're doing, but I love you and I trust you. And while I was trying to get us ready, God was getting me ready. Such a weird thing that happens to you when you do this. So I have a seizure on Thanksgiving morning. Go through the whole deal. Primary brain, two to three years to live. And when I went into that meeting with my wife and Brian Miller and sat across that group of docs that said, it's anaplastic. It's grade three. Prognosis is two to three years. Despite all I theologically knew, the floor fell out from under me. You know, Mike Tyson said everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. I mean, that, that's a real-time experience for me. I wish I could have told you that in the moment that I received that news, I was like, oh, God's going to be glorified in huge ways through this. I thought, I want to walk my daughters down the aisle. I want to watch my son become a man. I do not want another man to marry my wife. And I want to grow old with my friends. I want to be on the back porch of somebody's house as a 75, 80 year old man drinking coffee or beverages that can't be named in church (laughs) and celebrate what Jesus did with this herd of morons that I'm running with. I just felt loss. And if I'm honest, I felt betrayed by the Lord. And then 48 hours later, the floor came back and met me. And I was able to say, gosh, my life's always been yours. I, I want these things. I'm not going to be like, your will be done. I know your will is going to be done, but I want these things. And I asked the Lord to heal me and, and pled with him to, and by his grace, I'm, I'm still here. But, but we need to be armed and ready for the fact that suffering is a normal part of life. It will surprise you. It will knock you in the nose and make you wobble. And yet we have to be prepared with an understanding that God is good. I'm already planning 2023's um, sermon series. And and one of the things we're going to do, we're going to look at the incommunicable attributes of God. Because the gaze upon the perfection of God bolsters us and strengthens us in a day of trouble. And, And so Peter's like, time is short. Arm yourselves. The same mindset of Jesus Christ who chooses suffering and glorifies God in it. Okay, But then it it takes this twist, and I I need to explain this, because he says, if you do this, then, then you'll be sinless. Now, when he says that, he's not talking about, he's not talking about perfection, but rather showing that that you have entered into a kingdom and a series of values that's different than the values of the world. So he says here, when you willingly suffer for good, or when you suffer and praise his name, 
You reveal to the lost world around you that there is something greater. You divorce yourself from their way of practicing and you show yourselves to be something other than. Are you tracking with me on that? So it's not that you're perfect. It's that you're revealing that your whole way of seeing the universe has changed. I don't know if you're aware of this, but all people, saved or unsaved, rejoice when things are good. So when, when you get that uh, raise or you get that promotion and you're like, praise his name, that's awesome. You should do that. But every law, I mean, I mean, we've watched football games in the Academy Awards. Like, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who really motivated me in that just perverse sex scene I was in in this movie, praise his name, right? You're just like, wait, what? And, and so it's, it's when things fall apart. It's when things melt to the ground. It's when there's no reason for us to put confidence in our king that we, not with kind of a flippant like, oh, I'm this great, because it's not great. But just to go, I trust him. And I believe that he's good. And I believe that he's for me, not against me. And none of this is punitive. That disorients unbelievers and pulls them in. And then he says, not only should we arm ourselves with this mindset, but then he, he does this thing that we just, we're really bad at right now which is to look at the place of judgment and how it can create human flourishing. So, so the next part of the passage, if you look there in verse five, right after this, hey, you refuse to participate in their debauchery, so they malign you and attack you if you don't uh, tow uh, the party line. He says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that through, though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So, so the way he encourages us as believers to live in a world where time is short and suffering is normal is to arm ourselves with the mindset, it's coming, it came for Jesus, it's gonna come for me, I'm going to praise his name in the day of trouble. I'm gonna take my shot, I'm gonna have wobbly knees, and I'm gonna praise him. And with that set... He says, and look at the world through the lens of God's just judgment. Now, here's how that, here's how God's judgment on earth, both for the unbeliever and the believer, because both are in view. Did you see it? The living and the dead. The, the reason why that's such a big deal is twofold. Here's the first thing. The first thing is it takes off of you the need to get revenge or defend yourself, knowing there's one who will. Right? So, so if I know the God of the Bible is going to judge the living and the dead, that takes all the justice off of me and lets it sit in the hands of the one who could administer it fairly. fairly. So I, I don't have to thrash about when things aren't fair. I don't have to thrash about when I'm maligned or attacked. I don't have to get revenge for those evil people that do this or that. I don't, that weight is off of me. I get to live faithfully and with a great deal of love, knowing that God will ultimately judge the living and the dead. It also, because, and here's something we know, because I will be judged by him. It makes me not hate my enemy, but fight to love him. I wish, in, if I, like if I, in my you know, kitchen island this morning, thinking about our, our time together, if I, could, if I could get you to leave with, with one thing, it would be the actual wrestle to love those you hate is a sign that the Holy Spirit's at work in your heart. 
It's not that you would actually love them. It would be that you recognize that you don't and you make war to put your heart in alignment with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The prayer of, I would rather you kill all these people than save them is a prayer that reveals that God is at work in your heart, as crazy as that sounds. If you could ever be convinced that it's not the finished, prog, prog, you know, the finished product that God loves, but it's the process itself, you'd be kinder to yourself, you'd pray more, and you'd worship with more zeal. Perfection's been given to you. Now it's the process of growing into it. It's what the, the gospel is. And so I think our greatest hurdle in the time in which we live is to not get sucked into ideologies that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, ideologies are parasites that attack themselves, attach themselves to religious structures. You want to know what an ideology is? Look to the left and the right of our political leanings. And the great scheme of the enemy right now is to get you to hate people you should pray for and ask God to move in. I don't care what side you're on because here's the truth. The right would hate Jesus for all his race talk and the left would hate Jesus for all his sexual purity talk. So this chronological snobbery that we would be Jesus's people in our day, I'm just, as a pastor, can tell you is hogwash. The sheer volume of ideological air that we breathe that would vilify and want to destroy another ideology is the demonic plan to destroy us in our day. Do you know how Christianity grows wild through the Roman Empire? This is going to sound crazy to you because Romans were converting to Christ. Do you know who else was trying to destroy the church? Romans. Like, I'm just guessing. Like, if I'm, I know me, I know how I'm bent. Man, if I'm in the first century, I'm not asking Jesus to save Saul of Tarsus. I am asking Jesus to do something to Saul of Tarsus that I probably won't name in here, but it's not rescue him and set him loose on your people to bring thousands to your name and renown. But it was Saul who became Paul. It was the man who was kicking open doors, killing Christians, dragging women and children and parading them through the streets, publicly shaming the church of Jesus Christ. Who, who becomes the greatest missionary our faith has ever known. The pull that we're going to experience to join an ideological camp that vilifies the other is going to be so profound as to, if you're not consistently active in your mindset and aware of the gospel and all its implications, you're going to get sucked in and you're going to, be, you're going to have more allegiance to the ideology than you will to the gospel. And we'll lose our witness in the world and you'll lose your power for ministry because ministry finds its power in the gospel and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So although we're going to have, listen, by nature, Christians by and large are going to have a conservative mindset. We, we just are. That, that doesn't mean we swallow the whole pill. You tracking with me? Okay. Um, I'm expecting an email or two, but it's fine. Be careful of ideologies. And, and then lastly, he, he says, do this together. Do this together. Look at this. I, I found this. This was the sentence in all of this. This was the sentence. I was like, uh huh. So in verse seven, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. 
Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So I just want to flow through this. This is togetherness. Uh, Verse 7 threw me off because here's what he says. Be sober-minded right? Be clear headed, right? And, and man, don't we need to be clear headed? Don't, don't we need uh, to have an answer and be prepared to give an answer for those who ask us about the hope we're in? Don't we need to explain why we land here or land here or land here? I think the answer is yes, but notice that's not why he said to be clear minded. He didn't say be clear minded so that you could give a defense. He says, be clear minded so you can pray. So, so how are you and I to live together in this climate with these warring ideologies, making sure we don't get sucked up into it, making sure that our suffering doesn't decimate us? We fight to be clear-minded so that we can pray. So that we can pray. So that when we see some of the ridiculousness and the blindness of this current cultural moment, It breaks our hearts and leads us to plead with God for renewal and revival, not thrash about and attack those under demonic oppression. To be the kind of people that love, come what may, even when it's uncomfortable and awkward. But be clear-minded so you can pray. The whole, look, look right, let's make some eye contact. The whole economy is built on your outrage right now. Do you know that? Like the whole system has to have you angry or it falls apart. That's why headlines are what they are. That's why words are twisted. That's the whole fake news thing because I can't get you to read anymore without provoking one of the more base instincts that you have, which is to make war and be angry. So I'm going to cultivate your rage and line my pockets. And Peter's going, don't let him do it. Be clear-minded so that you can pray. And, and here's where the, the process helps. To think about the process helps. I, I get angry all the time. I'm a passionate man. I get angry about weird, random things. But I know anger's a check engine light for me. That's what I know about myself. Like, I start feeling angry. I, I don't need to stop for a second. Is this righteous anger? Is this, and, and even righteous anger, you, you take to the place of the throne of God. And, and just lay, I'm so bothered. I'm, I'm so frustrated. I'm so heartbroken. It's in that space when you take it to Jesus and not your Instagram account that God begins to do some work in you. It's the awareness that I'm not clear headed. I'm cloudy. And I feel like I want to fight the whole world that you can bring that before God and he'll meet you in that space. Again, the idea that you're meant to be perfect rather than given perfection and now are working it out, I think has stifled and robbed so many of us of the beauty of a fully formed Christian life. Be clear-minded so you can pray. And then he goes on and he talks about persisting in love for one another, like earnestly loving one another in a way that covers a multitude of sins. I said this, I think it was the second week, I want to say it to you again. Your love for other Christians is not based on their likability, 
but in your shared experience of redemption and sanctification. Let me say it again. Your love for other Christians, praise God, is not based on their likability, but rather your shared experience in redemption and sanctification. Redemption, you have the same story. You were lost and far from God and Jesus saved you. Sanctification, you're both on a journey together, some slower than others because of things that we've been through. And so I just want to constantly encourage you to be gracious and patient to to people who are growing in their walk with Jesus who didn't start as far along as maybe you did. I'm telling you, as a pastor, like somebody comes in with a ton of abuse, somebody comes in with a really dark, busted background, somebody comes in with some real deep soul level wounds, they, they grow at a slower clip and sometimes they thrash about. And, and our role is to be gracious and, and patient because we're being sanctified too. And we're not as far along as we think we are and you'll find out in time that that's true about you. So patience rules that love one another earnestly, like effort. Yeah, there's effort involved. It's not going to come naturally, especially, let, let's see how honest we can be. Are, are anybody in here would just be honest enough to say, by my nature, it doesn't take much for people to bother me. Any, anybody would just go, oh my gosh, I love this church. Look at this. Are you serious? Like you just admitted that in church? Oh, the last 20 years has not been in vain. Yeah. So you will have to be clear-minded in prayer, knowing, I kind of like to strangle this person. Wait, no, I don't. I want to love them, but I don't want to fake that I love them. I I want to love them, and I don't want to pretend that I do. I don't want to do that thing where I'm like, hey, buddy, when everything in me is like, gosh, I should have gone to the nine. Right? So we fight. Help me. Help me see them, love them, care for them like you do. I I lack the capacity. I can't see what you see. Help me. I know you love them. I don't. I don't even like them. I don't like them, love them. I don't know what to do here. I want to avoid them. Just look at, like, some just look at, like, dumb face. I don't just, help me. And it's in that, I'm just telling you, like, we're giggling. That's where the good work happens. Gosh, I swear, some of you have been convinced that you're just like supposed to walk in here and everything's supposed to line up perfectly. No, no, no. You've been given perfection so you can breathe. And now we wrestle. We earnestly desire to love our brothers in a way that covers a multitude of sins. And then the the second one in verse nine really is right along in line. Be graciously hospitable to fellow believers without complaining. The vision that God has for our lives is not that we gather with Christians on Sunday morning, but that we're deeply known and walk together through the highs and lows of life. You'll need that in that season of suffering when you take that shot to the nose and can't see and your eyes, spiritual eyes are watering and and you're discombobulated. You'll need somebody that like, like I had just several people in that day that just came right alongside of me and said, we're here. You're gonna be all right. You're gonna be all right. She'll be all right. They'll be all right. You'll be all right. We're here. What can we do? And the answer was they couldn't do squat. They could just be with me. It was profound how powerful presence was in that nastiness. And then lastly, he gives this one in verses 10 and 11. He calls us to serve one another with the gifts, the very gifts of grace you have received. If you want to feel the pleasure of God, find your gift and serve his people. 
Let me say it again. If you want to feel the pleasure of God, find your gift and serve as people. You need it and the people of God need it. So, so what happens in this togetherness is God creates a community that can withstand together the brutality of a world broken by sin. He, he, he creates a, a community where there's a, a safe place uh, to come in with, with all the things that, that we think are going to be too nasty or, or be judged by or be, and, and to lay them in front of a people who begin to embody the grace and mercy of Jesus by moving towards us in that nastiness not away from us. Move towards us in our heartbreak, not from us. Move towards us in our suffering, doesn't avoid us. Move towards us when it hurts real bad and we can't believe we did that. It moves towards us. This is, and, and the way that happens is we, we've got to figure out how God's wired us. We've got ways to do that. We've got ways to, to help you do that. And then we need to plug in to serve the body how we've been designed, where we've been called to create that container that can weather any kind of storm that comes down the pipeline of life. Now, I want to end with this, and and I can't believe, well, I don't want to say that because then I won't end on time. One of the things that that stood out to me as I was looking through um, this passage was, like, like Peter is super earnest. Like, time is short, guys. Like, we're running out of time. Like, it could be any minute now. Like, life is really, really short. Christ is returning. There's not a lot of time. And yet, he doesn't call people to epic visions and powerful moves. Just tells them to be faithful where they are. There's this story about Martin Luther who, um, in, in many ways, started the Protestant Reformation when he, not, he nailed the 95 theses uh, to the Wittenberg door there. And, and someone asked Martin Luther, hey, if Jesus was returning tonight, what would you do? And he said, I'd plant a tree and pay my taxes. I don't know that I agree with all that. But do you hear what he's saying? I would simply be faithful because that's all that Jesus has asked me to do. Again, as often as I can expose Western plausibility structures, I want to be able to do that. The great, look at me. The greatness that Jesus Christ is calling you to is faithfulness where you are. Don't overthink this. You have to start some massive ministry that reaches the unreached, rescues every person in sex trafficking. If God calls you that, he's going to equip you and surround you with people to pull it off. But for most of us, it's be faithful in your marriage. Be faithful to your friends. Be be faithful to Christ in the little things at work and at home and in the community. Be faithful where you are. Christian hope is planting trees and paying taxes. And so how should we live when there's such little time? We've armed ourselves with the same mindset of Christ Difficulties coming. I don't know when it's going to show up. It will surprise me no matter how prepared I am. I know I'm going to stand in front of God and give an account for my life. It's not just the unbelievers that will be judged. It'll be me that's judged. And I don't want to bury what God gave me in the ground. I want to maximize what he put in me for his glory and my joy. And, and that means for me, that starts for me with Lauren and my children, not this church. And then from there, it flows to my calling here and as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And, and then from there to Acts 29 and planting churches all over the world as best we can. And, and that it's faithfulness in a given moment at a given time. It's not bigger than that. And so if you feel overwhelmed today, I'm just asking, what's, what's the simple step of faithfulness now? Where do you need to war that you have not warred? You have entertained hate. You have embraced ideologies and you have justified it by looking at the evil over here and not the evil over here. And I'm saying we look to the beauty and holiness of Christ and we see the ugliness everywhere and it enables us to stay attached to the gospel and not be seduced by ideologies. Where do we need to repent that, that we haven't Ward over the anger and disappointment in our hearts, but let it fester. Where do we need to step back in to what God has called us to? I, I want to say that I just believe it. You probably heard me say it before. Nowhere in the scriptures are you commanded to go to church, commanded to belong to one. Are you serious? Like an hour and 20 minutes against the onslaught of 24-7 screens? No. No, we belong to a people. We fight to belong to a people for the glory of God and our good, our safety. Hey, hey, I love you. You, you, you can do this. I know it's hard out there. I, I know there's a lot of complexities and a lot of sorrow in this place, and yet Jesus is good. So if you're not in that season, I want you to, to arm yourselves with the reality that it can, but I don't want you to live lives of panic or, or nervousness. No, 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 you, you just can't control tomorrow. But you know who's there, right? So let's orient our faiths, orient our mindset towards the, the one who is on the throne, faithful where we are, for the glory of God and our joy. Let me pray for us. Father, bless these men and women in the name of Jesus. Thank you for how you love us, how you've rescued us, how you come alongside us. Thank you that uh, even if we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we have no reason to fear because you are with us. And so I pray that you would comfort where there needs to be comfort this morning. You'd convict where there needs to be conviction this morning. And that you would draw us all the more into your heart as we sing. We love you. Help us love you more than we do. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.